Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome, folks, and welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. And here at the top of the noon hour, let's go ahead and start our show with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Well, today's show, we're talking a little bit more about, as a family, as parents, what do we do when it comes to raising our children? Because a lot of times we worry about, you know, what's going on with my kid? I went to school and to their school uh, uh, teacher uh, function and, and uh, they had a parent-teacher conference and they were going to review our kids' files with us and tell us what's going on with our kids. And man, all of a sudden they tell me that my kid is acting in a, in a really weird way, something I've never seen at home. Uh, or I find out from their friends that they're really picky and they're really bossy or they're really not what I thought they were. You know, it's nice when you go and you get the very positive reviews, you know, as we're parenting. And all of a sudden you say, somebody tells you your kid's great. They're getting great grades. They're getting along with their, or their friends. They're very popular in the class. They're, they're just doing really, really well. You know, and usually the teacher says, gosh, you're doing something really good there as parents, whatever you're doing keep doing it. And as parents, we say, well, we're pretty good. <laughs> you know, we, do, we read the manual. Hey, we know how to raise our kid. But then what happens when all of a sudden you, when it's the opposite, you go to the school and you're like, they never act like this at home. They never act up. They're always very polite at home and pleasant to my estimation of things. But then we get, we get the report. We hear from people that maybe they're not acting the way that we think that they are. Maybe all of a sudden they tell you your kid's a bully or something. What do you do? Because at that point, you notice that if the kid is acting in a very positive manner and, and gets along with everybody and is doing really well, all of a sudden we say, gosh, we got to credit that to the parents and, and that's great parenting. And what are these parents doing? That that's so good. One of the challenges is when the kids aren't acting quite as good, then we start turning everything to, well, what's wrong with this kid? 
we never stop to think, I mean, everybody else kind of does, <laughs> but we sometimes never stop to think, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me as a parent? What did I do? Is this what they're learning? Because technically speaking, 95 to 99% of the time, the kid's learning how to behave from what they see at home, you know? And that's the challenging part. Do we recognize this? Do we stop and take a look at ourselves? Now, there are cases, I will say, where all of a sudden, you the kid has really vicious behavior, just vicious behavior, almost evil, if you will. And the parents can be the nicest people in the world where, where you say, this just does not add up. It does not add up. But for the most part, are we ready to look at how do we parent? What is it that's happening in the home? A lot of times people will get into arguments, they'll get into fights, um, I mean, by couples, parents, or will say things, will do things differently than the way we act at church. You know, we go to church and we tell the kids that they have to act a certain way, be a certain way, uh, and they have to present themselves a certain way, and we have to be on our best behavior because we're in church. But then at home, sometimes the parents will just let loose and they're not using the best language. The shows they're watching on TV uh, aren't showing the best of morals. The music that they listen to, there's different things that go into play uh, that our kids are exposed to. They're in that environment. But we as parents sometimes will downplay that and we'll say, that's not that big a deal. It doesn't really matter. It's just a TV show. It was just a joke. You know, the kids don't even get it. Uh, and so we think, you know, so we think, but all this information that's coming out, they're going to absorb it and they're going to react on it. I bring this up because a lot of times I get uh, people coming up to me uh, for therapy or, or for different sessions and they say, Doc, you got to fix my kid because there's something wrong with my kid. I don't know what's going on with them. You know, and when it comes to, psychiatry when it comes to psychology and parents bring the kids in and there's something going on with the kids where the child might be depressed the child might be anxious the child might be not be performing well at school they might be very shy at school the teachers might say i don't know there's something about them that's they're, they're really sad all the time you got to stop and wonder you know a lot of parents will say hey you got to get this kid on on medication you got to get them on antidepressants or something because uh you know they're they're just always sad they're, they're not happy people uh or you know they're always anxious or they're always worried i don't know what to do about it i reassure them all the time i definitely reassure them all the time and you know they need something well a lot of the times you look at it and you say well i think they're depressed because you as spouses you guys are always fighting no that can't be it. that's just our argument that has nothing to do with them we're very kind to them uh, we're, we're always nice when we talk to them. We might argue, but we're always nice when we talk to our child. What we don't realize as parents is that child are, children are happiest. The child is happiest when mom and dad are happy. That's when they're happy. It doesn't matter if you discipline them, not discipline them. They get the toy they wanted, didn't get the toy they wanted. They'll be upset about those things. But that's not going to bring them happiness. We know that material things don't bring us happiness. It's when mom and dad are getting along, when the kids come home to what they consider a stable environment or what we know to be a stable environment, that's when they're going to be happy. That's when they're going to sit and realize, hey, you know what? There's nothing for me to worry about. Yeah, I didn't get that toy. That's, that's a bummer. You know, I didn't get the toy that I wanted and my, my friends have it or, you know, my friends are playing this video game and I don't get to play it because mom and dad say that, you know, it's not appropriate even though it's just about shooting and killing and, and inappropriate adult themes and things like that, but it's a video game, but mom and dad don't let me play it. They can be upset about those kind of things and that's fine. But the reality is that doesn't bring them joy when they do get the video games or they do get the toys or anything. They bring, it, it, you know, it makes them, it makes them happy for the moment. Right. 
It doesn't bring them happiness and joy long term. What brings them happiness and joy long term is mom and dad are getting along. I come home and the house is at peace. I don't have to hear people arguing. How do we know this? It's pretty common sense. I mean, we can go into studies, we can go into science, but it's pretty common sense. You know, it's it's an important aspect of growing up. Why do I bring this up? Because lately I've seen parents worried about their kids, their kids' education, what their kids are going to do, the kids' future. Um, what do we, you know, they read the news, there's no hope for my kid and for the future. If we take that attitude, if we say, gosh, everything's going to pot and there's no hope, our kids are going are gonna to feed off of that as well. And they're going to say, well, if mom and dad are saying that there's no hope, why should I even care? Why should I be happy? And the reality is, if we start taking that attitude as parents, one, we're not giving God his, his due justice and his, his right desserts because all of a sudden we're saying there's no hope and there's no God really controlling everything. We're controlling everything and it's, and it's going bad. But the reality is God's always in charge. Are we bringing that into the home? I would say the first place we need to bring it is we need to bring it into our, our marriage relationship, you know, as parents. Uh, whatever that relationship is, if you're a single parent, bring, making God first in your life, <clears throat> that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to be important because that's what we're going to transmit to the children. Let me read a little uh, email that I got recently uh, as to why I was thinking about this topic to begin with. And it says, Dear Dr. Sandoval, uh, I needed help with my five-year-old. Keep in mind, this is a five-year-old. We're talking about kindergarten here. Okay, so kindergarten. I need help with my five-year-old. He always seems to be very, very angry. Um, he lashes out at his teacher, his friends, mom, and dad. Uh, meaning, and they put in parentheses, me, me and mom. Uh, <clears throat> this started about a year ago, and I'm not sure why. Nothing seemed to be going on at home. He's been at the same school, so he was there for preschool, and then he's going there for kindergarten now. <clears throat> Five years old, mind you. And so nothing has changed. And then the important part here was, uh, you know, the kids not doesn't need anything. They 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 live in a, in a house. That financially they're doing okay, so that's not an issue. This is where they bring up. My husband and I have been going through different issues. We've toyed with the idea of getting a divorce. We don't seem to be getting along anymore, and we're always arguing. But it's behind closed doors. We have not brought up the idea of divorce to our son. I don't want to say his name to our son. Um, <clears throat> but I know that I have been a little bit more tense lately. I wonder if he's been picking up on that. Uh, could this possibly be causing him to be depressed? He was seeing a psychiatrist. They took him into the psychiatrist, and they're rec recommending medication. Should I give them medication? I thought he was just upset about many things at school, which our teacher tells us he's not, but the psychologist is telling me that he's depressed, and this doesn't make sense. Okay, and so they were wondering, what should we do? Should we give him medication? Should we not give him medication? Where, where are we at at this point? Now, I don't know all the details, but we need to speculate about a few things and we need to reevaluate the situation because in children, this is something that's very, very important. In children, depression doesn't manifest as it does in adults. Now, we and this is, I'm talking like kindergarten age, uh, elementary school age. Depression manifests very differently in children. We imagine as adults, depression is I'm sad, uh, I'm crying, I don't feel good. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not performing at work, things of that nature. In kids, depression manifests itself actually with anger and irritability. So a lot of people think, oh, that's an angry child, right? Look at how, how angry they are. They might be depressed. Do they need medication? Well, we'll talk more about that after the break.
All right. Well, welcome back to Bridge of Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show, and I am your host, as always, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Happy to be here with our Catholic audience. Always a pleasure. Today, we're talking about what's going on with our kids and how much influence do we really have as parents. This is going to become more important uh, to talk about as we get on in the show because we got to see what way is society heading when it comes to our children and what is it that we're doing or not doing when it comes to making sure as parents that our children are educated, not just at school, but in the home. And that's really where the first level of education comes in. Nothing beats that. You know, you can hear what the, the school boards say, what the teachers are teaching the kids and all these things. The reality is if the children are being swayed one way or another at school, I got to ask myself, what is it the parents are teaching? Because the child will always listen to the parents first, whether we like it or not. And what I mean by that is sometimes we think, oh, they're not listening to me. They're rebelling. They're not paying attention to mom and dad. We don't know where this is coming from. We've got to ask ourselves, are we paying attention to the kids? What are we teaching them? What is the example that we're giving them? Because we can also go to the extremes. We can go to the extremes of, of turning the home into what appears to be like a convent or a monastery because we feel we're being so Catholic. And that's not realistic either, because unless you're a monk or a nun, living in an environment in that way is not the way God intended us for, to live, if that's not our vocation. But we'll talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on. So before the break, I was talking about a parent who was asking me questions about their child and their child's a five-year-old boy in kindergarten. Apparently he was diagnosed with depression and all they saw was that he was getting angry and throwing tantrums. And the teacher kept saying that he was, you know, wasn't acting like himself. Uh, he was throwing tantrums. And the, the main thing, the only thing that had really changed in this kid's life, which had otherwise been stable, the main thing that changed was the parents were now considering a divorce. Now, the mom said that, yes, they argue and they're not getting along, and but that they argue behind closed doors. That was her main thing. Well, when we argue, it's behind closed doors, so it's okay. Kid's not hearing it or so she says. Um, and then other than that, she's saying, you know, I don't think he knows of anything else. Well, here's the important part as parents. We, real, we have to realize, which sometimes we're not self-aware as parents as to what we're bringing to the house. So one of the questions is, what's the attitude in this household? They think that it's stable, but if they're talking about divorce, unless it's extremely amicable for some odd reason, normal, uh, which doesn't really happen with divorce, there's always going to be some tension. And per the mom's message, they are arguing even though they're arguing behind closed doors, there's gonna be a tension in the household. And whether they realize it or not, the child's picking up on that tension. It's kind of like watching a movie. You know, if we're watching a movie and, all, and it, the movie gets really quiet and the camera just pans around a, a home and it's just walking down the hallway and it's very quiet, but it's walking down the hallway, we start to anticipate something's gonna happen here. Is something gonna jump out of one of these doors here in the hallway? Is something scary gonna happen? That's kind of the tension that might be in that household. You know, we don't argue in front of the kid, but the kid, I bet you more than anything, can hear you arguing behind closed doors or is aware that you're not getting along or can feel a certain vibe, a certain uh, aura about you when you're walking around each other. There's going to be a tension there, and, and this child's going to pick that up. That would be my first guess. My second guess is, let's say that you're in separate rooms and you're not arguing or you're not near each other, so it's not visible necessarily that you're arguing or that you're contemplating divorce. But if you're in separate rooms, there's going to be tension in that household where the child's going to be alone and he's waiting for what? The next time you argue or the next time there's tension. It's just an anticipation. This level of stress is not good for anybody. Imagine being at work 
And the boss is always tense, always angry, um, never happy with the staff, never smiles, never gives you a good word, always tells you that things are bad, never uh, gives a, uh, tells the workers how well they're doing or what the productivity is. Imagine working in that environment where you can't really speak up or say anything because your opinion doesn't count or, or, or matter. Uh, and you're sitting at your desk and you're not even sure if what you're doing is right because you're not even getting good feedback, constructive feedback. All the feedback is everything's terrible, the numbers are bad, and you know you got to work more. I say imagine because I think a lot of people work in that environment. I hear about a lot of people who don't like their bosses, who don't like their seniors, who don't feel supported at work. Uh, and it's a very, very challenging situation. We can actually create that at home. We can actually, as parents, we're the managers. We can actually create that type of work environment, if you will, but we'll say home environment with a whole lot of tension. We can be in that environment and make it so that the child is always scared, always wondering how they're doing. And you could say, well, it has nothing to do with them. Yeah, but it's no different than being at work. If your boss, if the manager is in a bad mood because of their personal life, but they're always in a bad mood and they're always tense at work, well, they might say, oh, no, my workers are fine. Well, they're not going to pick up on that because there is a responsibility. There's a role that we have to play as parents. And we set the home environment. We set up the uh, feel of the home. We, we are the ones who are responsible for making sure that our home is a welcoming environment or a stressful environment. That's our responsibility. We're the, that falls on us. In this particular situation, parents are getting divorced. I can only imagine that there's going to be tension there. I'm assuming this is an only child. They didn't specify, uh, but this is the only child that they were concerned about. If there's other children who are older children in the household, I guarantee you they're aware of the situation. Maybe not the divorce situation, but they might even be thinking that because they're probably seeing that mom and dad aren't getting along or mom and dad aren't doing even the smallest things that they used to subtle things. Maybe the saying good morning, maybe a, a peck on the cheek, uh, maybe making breakfast for each other, holding hands, whatever it is. If mom and dad were getting along, all of a sudden there's this tension. There's going to be a change in attitude. There's going to be a change in behavior. And guess what? People are going to pick up on that. Why? Because it's those little things, actually, that let us know that people are in love or that a, a couple is happy or that I should be comfortable in the home. You know, mom and dad don't slam the book down. They place it down gently or it's not even an issue. Or they walk by each other and they give each other a knowing nod or a hug or a kiss. Or they might even ask each other how you're doing or what can I do for you right now? And that stops. All of a sudden that stops. That's a huge red flag for the family. You got, we got to be aware of these things. Now, one thing that we were saying before the break was the child here is five years old. It's going to manifest depression differently than, say, a teenage child or somebody who's, yeah, like in junior high or high school. You know, they start manifesting depression uh, as we're older. We get sad. We might, our sleep might be off. Either we're sleeping too much or too little. Uh, sometimes weight gain. Sometimes not knowing uh, how we're feeling, but uh, knowing that we're just not ourselves, not being able to get out of bed or go to school, our homework is off, can't concentrate, can't memorize anything anymore. You know, we're trying to study, it's not there. And that's typical, you know, we see that in adults, we know that, thoughts of, well, feeling depressed and maybe even thoughts of suicide, things of that nature. Not common for that to happen in a five-year-old. You know, five-year-olds aren't going to feel depressed and think about suicide. They still have uh, a, a will to live, if you will. They're so young uh, and they're relying on mom and dad for everything. They need to be carted everywhere, wherever they go. So there's a whole lot of dependence on the adult. But when they're, when they're depressed at that age, the most common uh, symptom is going to be irritability and anger. You know, it's going to come out as 
kids throwing tantrums now or the kids bullying other kids at school or they seem to be really angry all the time and we're wondering well why are they angry what are they mad about and this is why it's easy to turn it on to the kid it's like we always imagine that kids are responsible for their feelings and that they better always be happy right you see a kid who's unhappy and you're like what's wrong with you you got to be happy we, we're okay with adults being unhappy but we don't never give that the kids that leeway either way this child is manifesting as angry went to a psychologist and they were diagnosed with depression sounds appropriate you know sounds about right the question now is do they need medication or not you know not an easy question to answer when i have not seen this kid if i'm assuming that they are depressed and i'm going to go with that diagnosis as being uh, i'm going to assume that it's correct uh you know the reality is does the kid need medication or not i need to know a little bit more and this is what i would say if you're dealing with an older kid who might be going through this, you know, mom and dad, check yourselves. How's the environment at home? Is there a possibility for, uh, you know, tension in the home that might be created by mom and dad? Are mom and dad working on their relationship and trying to be a loving couple? Whether they're trying to get divorced or not, we should always be striving towards being a loving couple. Is that happening? I'm not saying that there's not going to be arguments. I'm not saying that we're not going to have differences of opinion or you know, not always be happy with each other, that happens. The question is, how do we handle it? And how do we handle it in front of the kids, right? This is part of disciplining our children, believe it or not, because later on when we want to discipline our children, we're going to talk about this when we talk about uh, education at school, education in the home, what's going on, what's at stake. When we're disciplining our kids, our, the main thing our kids are going to see is do we practice what we preach? That's where that's where everything gets thrown back in our face. No, you can't do that. You you need to, you know, you're going to be punished because you were out with your friends late at night or you did this or you did that. And whatever we expect of our children, whatever we're telling them that we need at that moment, they're going to say, but you never, right? So that's something important to consider. And we're going to consider how do we handle those situations or what do we do about it? But the important thing right now is do we need medication? If your kids are older, they're not acting like themselves. They are, you know, hanging out with a different crowd, uh, no longer doing their homework. A lot of this, you could be thinking, well, they're, they're teenagers. They're going to rebel. Rebellion is a normal stage of teenagers. It is to a certain extent. But what we've got to remember is, even though children rebel, they still need their parents. So if they're older and they're showing the telltale signs of depression, then yeah, I would say medication might be appropriate. Um, let's look at the situation. Are they talking about death or suicide? Are they dressing in all black when they never did? It's not just a fad. Uh, have they started contemplating the meaning of life in not a positive way? Have they talked about, do they smell like marijuana all of a sudden? And, you know, a lot of times as parents, we want to ignore that or we want to pretend it's not my kid. Uh, but the reality is it's out there. I don't, I don't put it past anybody. I wouldn't be surprised if one day my kids come home like that and I have to say, hey, what's going on? You know, I got to address this issue. Or I've noticed he's been spending a lot of time with that boy over there. What's going on there? Are you, what are you thinking? Temptation's there. I can't, I can't hold my kids accountable for uh, the temptation that's there. I just have to put my part in of, hey, what's right and wrong? What have we taught you? And unfortunately, you're going to have to make your own choices because we're not always going to be there for you. But in a five-year-old, I'm always there for you. There's no way around that. There's no way of, there's no way of me saying, hey, you're five years old. You got to start making your own choices now. It's impossible. It's either you're with me or you're at school, bottom line, or a babysitter or a family member or something along those lines. But the reality is I'm making your choices for you. Five years old, Nobody else is making your choices. I'm choosing which babysitter you go to. I'm choosing which school you go to. And by choosing the school, that means I'm choosing your teacher and your friends. You know, that is the reality of life. But now the kid's a bully. Now the kid is frustrated, angry. 
do they need medication? If they're at the point where they are bullying other kids or they're so angry that they're getting into fights or they're just completely aggressive and not being themselves, then yeah, I would say they might need medication to call one to bring down that behavior. But really what that tells me is if they're acting that way and initially we're thinking, oh, we got to discipline this kid. They're not doing good. What are they thinking? My, my guess is they're in a lot of pain. You know, they're, they're acting out that way, not because they're mean kids. They're acting out in a mean way because they're feeling that inside. But think about it. That's probably coming from the home environment. Mom and dad are creating those, or I shouldn't say that they're putting those emotions in there, creating them, but there's an environment that's allowing those emotions to build up in that kid. And that kid can be angry because they don't know how to express, I'm really feeling sad because mom and dad seem to be off. They, they don't know how to express that. They just know they have mom and dad and, and they have no control. At that point, we have no control over what mom and dad do. Now, is it true that kids are resilient? Because a lot of people say, don't worry, the kid will be fine. Kids are resilient. It's not that big a deal. Uh, you know, mom and dad are going to go through a divorce. They're going to have their arguments, but the kids are fine. Look at how resilient they are. Well, there's a difference between being resilient and being quiet. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that difference is, how do we see it, and why it matters when you're a kid, what environment you're growing up in. More after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Louis Sandoval. Happy to be here with our Catholic audience. Always important to talk about our faith. Always important to talk about how we're getting along as Catholics. And today, what we're really talking about is, are we bringing that Catholic environment into the home? That's what this comes down to. Uh, we're talking about children, depression, what that looks like. How responsible are parents for the emotions that our children go through? Our children are individuals. They're going to have their own personalities. They're going to have their own emotions. I can say, you know, our kids, one of them might be a little bit happier in their disposition. A little one, another one might be a little bit more pessimistic in their in their disposition. Whatever it is that their personalities bring. As parents, we're still responsible to foster them into hopefully uh, productive adults, understand their personalities, and work with that. But it gets a little bit challenging when we're not focusing on the kids so much and we're trying to either work on our relationship, build our relationship as a married couple, uh, or if we're single parents trying to figure out, gosh, how do I even raise a family as a single parent? It's never easy. But what we do, the way we behave, what we're doing at home, is going to influence how our children are going to feel, how they're going to react, and you know, ultimately how they're going to grow up. Um, before the break, I was talking a little bit about uh, one. <clears throat> well, in our last segment, we we're talking about do we treat this right? A lot of parents were saying, no, you know, the psychologist said that my kid needed medication. For the most part, I'm not big on saying kids give them medication right away. So I'm not usually big on that. I'm not thinking, oh yeah, every child who is diagnosed with something needs to get medication. Not necessarily. In fact, I usually try to put it off as much as much as possible, especially uh, if I do that for adults, I especially do that for children. But there are cases, depending on how intense the symptoms of depression are, remember in kids, th those symptoms show up as anger, frustration, um, bullying other kids, irritability, things of that nature. Um, we got to ask ourselves, how intense are those emotions where, yeah, maybe we do need to treat them at least for a little while. But more importantly, as parents, are we really, are we ready? And are we willing to consider that maybe we need to change the home environment because maybe we are the source of them feeling this way? 
of them acting this way, of them acting out. <clears throat> it's something to consider. We never want to see that as parents. I'll tell you, a lot of psychologists, you bring your kid to the psychologist and you ask him what's wrong. Well, a lot of them, what they're not telling you because their duty right there, their patient is the child. A lot of them, what they're not telling you is mom and dad, that's what's wrong. But mom and dad aren't going to be ready to hear that. You know, right? you bring the kid to you. I need you to fix them. Well, yeah, but it's you guys. What are you talking about? I don't need the medication. I'm fine. I need you to fix them. Yes. But what you do need to do is reevaluate where you're coming from, what it is that you're doing, what's what's the environment this child is growing up in. Before the break, I was talking a little bit about, we just touched on the theme of, is a child resilient or not? Because a lot of times people will say, hey, no big deal. Kids are resilient. You know, bad things happen to kids. They go through traumas and they're okay. They're resilient. I'm not of the idea that kids are resilient in that fashion. I think that they're as resilient as anybody else. I think the difference is, for the most part in society, kids don't have a voice. Kids are quiet. They're not exactly resilient. How do I know that? Because those same kids are going to come, that five-year-old might someday come and talk to me about how messed up they felt when they were five years old. Now that they're an adult and they're thinking about it and they felt so alone and they felt so uh, angry and they felt so scared because mom and dad were getting a divorce and they could hear them arguing all the time and the home was really tense. And now as an adult, they're talking to me about something that happened to them when they were five. If they were resilient, sometimes we think that resiliency means it's not going to bother us. It's, you know, it's actually a really bad term as of late in psychology to say, oh, resiliency, that's what we've got to talk about, resiliency. Resiliency, a lot of people take it as, I can throw anything at you and you're going to be okay. Well, that's not too fair, is it? Because after a while, you're saying, hey, I'm human. You know, that I can only, I'm only going to take so much. You can't keep beating me down. But the same thing with kids. We can say that they're resilient. I say that they're quiet. And that later on in life is when they're going to come around and say, I think I need help. I don't feel good. This happened to me when I was a kid. Mom and dad were super tense and stressed out all the time. I don't know what to do because I carried that tension with me growing up. I never felt secure at school. I always felt like I was going to get yelled at. I never knew when something bad was going to happen. Even if I was doing everything right, I always felt like the teacher was going to get mad at me for something. I don't know why. That's a classic symptom of depression, feeling inexplainable guilt. You know, I feel guilty. I feel like it's something's my fault to the point where if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you're the one who broke that window over there uh, in the other building. And you're like thinking, I've never even been to that building. But, yeah, I probably did. You know, they're going to blame me for it. And, yeah, I'll just take the blame. Literally speaking, that can happen with depression. And this is what happens as we grow up. How many times do we feel guilty about things that we shouldn't feel guilty about? And the opposite is true. How many times do we feel not guilty about things that we should, you know, this is what happens when kids are growing up in this type of environment, constant tension as adults, they're going to get there. And if this tension was for years throughout, they don't know how to make decisions anymore. They don't know how to say, what career path do I choose? What do I do for myself? Is this a good person to date or not? All I know is I didn't get a whole lot of affection as a kid at home. And now that I'm an adult, why do I keep finding myself in these bad relationships? Oh, because I keep dating the first person who's paying attention to me or who shows me some affection because I'm craving that. I never got that. Mom and dad weren't there to just snuggle with me and tell me that things were okay. You know, that maybe they were arguing, but as adults, they argue and then they apologize and then they're nice to each other. I never saw them be nice to each other. I never, never saw them enjoy time together. They were always arguing about this or that. And then we wonder as parents, if that's the environment that we're in, and I'm just looking at this particular case, you know, the parents are about to get divorced. And for this moment, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying that they should be married. I'm not saying they shouldn't get divorced. I don't know anything about that relationship. 
all I know is that for this kid, all they're exposed to right now is a whole lot of tension. And then they're forced to be in a life later. Let's say the parents get divorced. Depending on how the parents handle that, if there's already tension here, I'm not assuming that they're going to become friends or it's going to get better after the divorce. I'm assuming that for the child, this is going to be really nerve wracking. And as the parents get older, there's probably going to be tension while they're divorced. And the child is seeing this. They might not say anything while they're going through school, but they're seeing this. And believe me, it's affecting them. It's going to be affecting them. Now, we talked about, sure, child grows up like this and gets into a bad relationship because the first person who shows them any kind of affection, they're going to turn to and they're going to say, I haven't had this before. I, you know, gosh, you make, you make, you, you actually see who I am as a person. You make me feel loved. I've never felt love before. And that's not a healthy place to be in because all of a sudden you're going to put up with really bad things in relationships. People might even put up with abusive relationships because they're getting some sort of affection from it. They're going to say, it wasn't all bad. I got some affection. Yeah, I, I was abused too, but heck, my parents were just abusing me emotionally and I wasn't getting any affection. At least this way, if I was getting abused, but I was getting some affection. The human mind is interesting. It's interesting what we need to feel fulfilled. And so we have to be very careful as parents. Are we providing affection to our children? Are we letting them know that they are loved? Are we letting them know from the moment that we're going to discipline them that they're important? And that the, the reason we're disciplining them or telling them to not to do something or change something or, you know, things along those lines is because we love them and we're seeing things down the road and we want to see the fruition of that. The hard part with that is when we do do this, where are we? Because our children are going to be ready to say, well, you're telling me to do this, but you sure don't do it. Right. And this is going to be important. Why is this important? Because we have to know how to handle that situation. In today's day and age, you're going to be seeing, if you're reading the news at all, you're going to be seeing how a lot of school districts really want to take education out of the parents' hands and feel that they are the uh, sole proprietor of education. They don't want to teach your kids. They want to educate your kids. And what I mean by that is education comes from the home. Teaching comes from school, right? Now, both, well, we can, we can mind swords here. But what I really mean by that is the culture a child brings internally comes from the home the culture in their heart. If the child is Catholic and wants to follow the Catholic faith, that tells me that for the most part, they probably grew up in a Catholic environment and they had Catholic parents who lived the faith. We can't underestimate the fact that God is working in our lives too. And a lot of people have conversions later on in life and God works in our hearts constantly. But the parents had to allow for some kind of environment for that to happen in. The parents are there to teach the children. And believe me, whether we like it or not, we know this. We grow up and I say, gosh, I sound just like my dad. I sound just like my mom. Why? Because there is a supernatural bond that society is not going to tell us about between parent and child, right? A child is born. If a child is lost somewhere, if you're in an amusement park and you find a child and they're lost, you don't say, well, you're just this child entity. I'll take you home with me so you're not sad. The first thing we look for is where are the parents? One, because they're the responsible party, but the child knows I need to find my parents, right? And you could say, well, that's really logical, Dr. Sandoval. You know, I mean, I don't know. That doesn't tell me there's a supernatural bond. Okay, let's take it a step further. What about a child who's been adopted and has never met their birth parents? Isn't there always some kind of a sense of, I really need to meet my parents? I wonder who my real parents are. We got to remember that as parents because the bond we have with our children, it's so everyday we don't think about it, but it's very, very powerful. And our children are seeing learning understanding the world based on the example we give to them at a young age from the time they're born, from the time they're in the womb, actually. They already know who mom's happy with and who she's not happy with. You know, if, if dad's coming home yelling and, and angry all the time and mom's pregnant and she's scared of him, that baby's going to learn dad comes home and they're scared. 
if dad's a loving dad and mom's always happy to see dad, that baby's going to learn, hey, this is a good guy. The child picks up on so many things already from the womb. So why is this important? Because if your children are going to school and teachers are going to be trying to teach them differently, they're trying to give them a different version of what's right and wrong, there's going to be at least a very big battle in the child's mind and in their heart when they hear, well, this is what mom and dad have told me is right and wrong. And now this is what the school is telling me is right or wrong. There's going to be a battle if mom and dad have taken the time to tell them what's right and wrong. If mom and dad have not touched that. If they have not sat down with the children to say, hey, these are our Catholic values. This is what we know to be right or wrong. This is what we understand marriage to be. This is what we understand growing up in, a, in, a, in this world being Catholic to be. These are the decisions we make. These are the commandments. These are the Beatitudes. This is our creed. If we don't sit down and do that, guess what? It's open season for the teachers to do that. If the child feels ignored at home, they're going to find an adult who's going to pay attention to them. And sometimes that's the teacher, right? And all of a sudden we wonder, well, why is it the teachers have so much power? Or why are the children changing uh, their tune? Or why is it that they're influencing the children so much? And now we see a lot, this trend a lot where I see it on the news a lot, where teachers are saying, Gosh, if a child's having issues with their identity, uh, if they're wondering about their own gender, if they're wondering about things like that, we're not going to tell the parents. We're going to guide the children without telling the parents. The parents, we're the primary responsible party for our children, not the schools, not the teachers, not anybody else. And so that can be a very, very precarious situation as parents because how do we raise our kids if we don't even know our kids? We need to take the time. And how do we start doing that? After the break, we're going to have some tips on how do we approach the kids and how do we be part of their lives as well as All right. Well, welcome back to Bring Your Mouse Power for Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And today, what we're talking about is parenting. And more than anything else, how do we as parents, how much influence do we have as parents over our children, our children's education, our children's minds, how they think, uh, what's our responsibility really with that? And if our children aren't doing well, are we ready to look at ourselves? Are we ready to say, hey, what are we doing as parents uh, that our child's not doing well? Is it something that we're doing? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes literally there is a pathology. It could be the child. Let's look at family history. Is there a psychiatric history in the family? Or is there psychosis? Are there different things that are going on? But a whole lot of the time, probably the majority of the time, if the child's not doing well, we got to ask ourselves what's going on in the home environment. Usually what we see is children who, who don't do well, parents are doing drugs at home. You know, parents aren't paying attention. Parents did drugs while they were pregnant. Uh, there was, there's alcoholism at home. Uh, parents are arguing all the time. Parents are always on the brink of divorce or parents are divorced and it's not a happy divorce and they're yelling at each other and there's a lack of unity. Um, there's a lack of sharing common values and the faith between both parents. This is where it can get tricky and we have to ask ourselves, why am I going to marry somebody? Am I going to marry somebody to fulfill what I feel to be an emptiness or am I going to marry somebody because we really do share the same values, the same faith, and we can build a family together. Now, these are things that we need to start teaching our kids um, as far as education when they're thinking about their future. Who do you choose to marry? You know, have we ever sat down with our kids and told them, look, just because you love somebody, because you might love a lot of people, you might fall in love with a lot of people, but just because you love somebody, it doesn't mean that they're the right person for you. And that's a hard pill to swallow because in today's society, we go off of emotions. We just go off of a knee-jerk reaction of, I'm in love. 
that means I'm going to get married or I'm going to be with this person or I'm going to live with this person or I have to be intimate with this person because I feel this feeling of love. Well, have we stopped to ask ourselves, what does love mean? You know, there's no distinction anymore sometimes in society between love and affection. You know, I'm with my best buddy. I have a lot of affection towards my best buddy. We feel really close. I feel a really close connection to my best buddy. Gosh, maybe that means that we should be a couple. Not necessarily. That's not what that means. It means that I have a, a very deep connection to my to my friend. You know, does it mean that I have to be in a physical relationship with them? Sometimes society will tell you that. Not at all. You know, you see this a lot of times when people have gone through the trenches together, soldiers from war. They have a very special bond where they tell each other, hey, you know what? We went through this experience together. You need anything in life. I'm there for you. We forget that there's that special tight bond uh, between people that we used to call friendship, but it's real friendship, not this, you know, social media, uh, they friended me kind of thing. Oh, that, they're my friend. No, we forget that friendship means that we went through some trials together. We were in the trenches together. And that means that I can pick up the phone, talk to this person, and we're going to start laughing like no time passed. That's true friendship. That's That's where friendship really lies. But as parents, are we fostering that for our kids? Are we teaching them how to make friends? Are we being friendly to them? I'm not saying that we have to be their friend and not their parent, but we can be a little bit of both. We always have to be their parent first, but we can be friendly to them. They're gotta be comfortable with us. And where does that start? What can we do as parents so that we know that we did our best effort? Uh, there's nothing wrong with if your kid does need medication, if they get to that point. Uh, it doesn't mean that you failed or anything like that, but it does mean that we need to take a take a step back and look at ourselves and say, where are we? Here's what I would say. I would say it's a threefold approach. The first approach as a parent is to recognize that none of us are perfect as parents. There is no parental manual. we got to take a step back. It's easy to say, but what does that look like? It doesn't mean that I go to my kid and say, you know what? I'm terrible. I have failed and I'm no good. No. What it means is we have to be humble. And by humble means, it doesn't mean that we're meek and that we pretend that we're weak. No. Humble means that we have to be honest. Look, I'm your parent and I have a responsibility. Facts. Humble is just looking at the facts for what they are. I've learned a lot in life because I've lived life longer than you. That's a fact. I'm not perfect. That's a fact. But I'm not going to stay in my imperfections. Hopefully, as parents, we're building on that. And we say, hey, I'm going to try to get better. Whatever my imperfection is, you might see it, but I want to improve on that. Now, how do we help each other in our in building up each other throughout our imperfections? We got to recognize them. I got to recognize my kids' imperfections because that's why we're disciplining them or helping them get better, telling them, hey, you're not doing as well in math as you should. Let's sit down and look at why. And we got to do the same thing with our personal imperfections where we say, as your parent, I'm not perfect in these areas. I could be a little bit more secure in myself. I could be a little bit more, uh, a little bit kinder. I tend to get mad easily or I tend not to get mad at all. And maybe I should speak up for myself. Whatever it is we feel our imperfections are, we can be honest about that with our kids. Like I struggle with this a little bit, but I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to improve. Not something that should be used against anybody, and we need to teach them that as well. How do we do that? When we point out their imperfections and we say, look, I'm not using this against you. I'm just saying we need to improve on this because if you keep yelling at everybody, you're not really going to make good friends. If you are not willing to you know, be flexible when you're doing things and you're very, very rigid, it's going to be tough for you to be married because there's not going to be a give and take. So we have to teach our children stepwise. Uh, what that means to be humble. But in order to do that, we have to foster our own humility, be honest with ourselves. What does this do? A lot of parents think, but this is like a chink in my armor. My my kids should, I, they should never know that I'm not perfect. I'm their, I'm their parent. Actually, what it does is it allows your children to, believe it or not, respect you even more. Because 
we think that our children should think that we're perfect, but they see what's happening. They see our imperfections. If we're able to recognize that when we discipline our kids and say, hey, this is not what you're doing. This is what you got to do it this way or that way. And they say, but you don't do this. You could say, that's right. And I'm working on that. So let's work on yours and let's all work on this together. That's going to foster a bond as a family that we recognize, yeah, we're not perfect, but that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on our strengths and we're going to try to build off of our imperfections. Why is this important? Because if our children know that we've made mistakes in life, later on when they're getting older and they're in a tough spot and they're making a mistake, they're going to be a little bit more prone to come talk to us about it if they know that we're going to be understanding. What if your kid goes to a party, they're drinking too much, Am I ready to call mom and dad and let them know that I'm drunk at a party? Gosh, as parents, we think, well, if you do that, you better call me. Sure, but did we create an environment where they feel like they can really call us? You know, where not that we're not going to be upset. They already know that. But if we made mistakes, maybe they're going to say, hey, like I made a mistake too. Can you help me out here? That's going to be important. I'd much rather have that happen than unfortunate situations with teenagers, college age students, drunk at parties and bad things happen. I'd rather they be ready to tell me, hey, I made a mistake. And they're not going to do that as readily if we don't create an environment where they feel safe, comfortable, or that they're going to be understood. In the moment, we might not understand it. We might be upset and think, how could you? But if we've created that humble environment for ourselves, we're going to take a step back and say, okay, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to build on it? So that's the first thing I would say is, one, we got to be humble. The second thing I would say is we got to practice what we preach because, or actually take a step back, the second step is, what is it that we're teaching in the household? Because that's what the kids are going to pick up on. So what is it that we're teaching? You know, are we sitting down and actually opening up a Bible and reading Bible verses and talking to our kids about the Bible verses? Are we praying the rosary and explaining to our kids what the rosary is? Where is the moral compass of the house? Who's teaching that? Society's not going to teach it. Schools aren't going to teach it. Even Catholic schools aren't going to teach it the same way that we're going to teach it as parents in the household. Nothing replaces the parental education. Going to church and listening to a homily is not going to teach it to the kids because at that five years old, they're not even going to be paying attention to an adult homily. If it's not a cartoon, it's not making sense. But are we ready as parents to sit down and say, hey, I'm going to teach this to you at your level. Let me tell you a story about Jesus. Let me tell you a story about a saint. Let me tell you a little story that's going to be a little seed in your heart when you're a little kid. And then I'll tell you the more complex story as you're a teenager. And then even more complex as you're an adult so that you understand how this builds and grows as we build and grow in our moral compass, our moral responsibilities. This is what's important. This is what are we teaching? What are, what are we pulling out you know, in front of the kids? Are we having one of the greatest ways to get to know each other? Are we having a game night? You know, there used to be family game night, family night. Do we still have that? Do we sit down with our kids and say, hey, we're going to do a family game night and let's sit down and we're going to play a, a nice game and we're going to see how, how what it means to play a game, which means we got to see how, what it means to follow rules and we got to see what it means to be flexible and we got to see what it, it means to understand that the older people, they know how to play the game, but they're going to allow the younger people to have some leeway, right? Because they're not ready to follow all the rules. Kids are learning this. They're learning how to be a family this way. They're learning how to treat other people this way. You know, if I go to work and I see that somebody's not as maybe intelligent or quick or uh, as talented at getting things done at work, am I going to make fun of them or am I going to help them out and realize, you know, they might need a little bit of help. Maybe I'll look out for them a little bit. Are we at that place? This is what we learn at home. Or do we say they're not doing good? Well, I'm going to take their position and I'm going to take their title and I'm gonna make sure they get out of here. You know, there's different attitudes that we can have. What's going to build our life better? What's going to help us uh, feel more fulfilled morally? Well, this is what we learn at home. 
this is how you know you know people say oh they're good peeps what does it mean that somebody's a good person they're a genuine person they're a real a real person uh towards other people that they understand each other's humanity and believe it or not we learn that a lot when we sit with our kids and play games with them that's probably when we when we get to know them the most go outside and play in the backyard go to a park you know shoot some hoops throw the ball around sit down and do a board game as a family do charades something silly it's about spending time together and interacting in a fun way that's where the kids really, really, really are going to have that trust for the parents and realize, hey, they're not just my parent, but, you know, there's a special bond here that I need to understand what that means. They didn't just give me life. They're teaching me life. And that's when kids start getting closer to the parents. My guess is that in this environment where this, this couple was going to get a divorce, I don't think they're doing a whole lot of family things at that point because they don't want to be around each other, right? They're arguing behind closed doors. My guess is they're releasing a whole lot of tension behind closed doors. And then when they're done arguing or they're not near each other, they're enjoying the time away from each other. That five-year-old's reading that. They know that, you know. And as we get older, guess what? It doesn't change. As kids are teenagers, early 20s, they're still seeing how mom and dad treat each other because they haven't reached their 40s or 50s or 60s, however old mom and dad are. They haven't reached that age. And they're learning from us as parents as we get older how they're supposed to act at different stages of, of their life. And so if we're older and we decide, well, you know, when we're 60, we can get divorced now, they're going to see that depending on how they grew up, depending on what they understand to be a loving relationship. They might, you know, say, well, if mom and dad got a divorce then it's okay to get a divorce. Or I understand that. So, you know, I wasn't happy getting a divorce, but mom and dad did. And I understand the process. And, and so I've been here before. It's familiar territory. It doesn't feel good, but it's familiar territory. So I can get a divorce too. Versus, hey, let's sit down as a family. Let's have a game night. Let's see what we can do together now. And the last one is, once we do all this, one, we humble ourselves, we let our kids know that, you know, we're not perfect. And as we discipline and as we go through life, we're working on our imperfections too. They're not alone in theirs. Two, we got to start seeing what is, what is it that we're teaching at home? The last one is, we got to practice what we preach. Because whatever we're teaching, the kids are going to say, yeah, but are you doing that too? And by practice, what we preach means, are we putting our Catholic faith first? Am I going to church on Sundays? Am I reading my Bible independently? Am I saying my prayers? Am I calling the family to sit together for a family rosary? Am I practicing what I preach in a humble way? So one, I'm trying to be humble. Two, playing with my kids, teaching them what's right. But what am I doing? What are we doing as parents? Do we sit together and actually pray as a married couple? Do we pray about our sacrament? That's something that's pretty important that I think that we need to start to institute. I don't know that too many couples think about a prayer, a, a couple's prayer or a couple's prayer time together. We're a sacrament. We need to sit down and, and start praying that way. How many couples pray together for each other, for their marriage? If they do that in front of the kids, how powerful that would be. Have they sat down to show their vows to the kids? Once we start doing that as a family, our kids see that, they see the example. In their hearts, they're gonna know what's right. And in their hearts, they're gonna know how to grow up as a closer family in the Catholic faith. Until next time, keep it Catholic.